Bienvenidos and welcome to the next installment of Lead Media Programming. From Studio 54, campus of California State University, San Bernardino, the digital media platform for inspired educators, leaders, and community activists and advocates, taking our message directly to the people, to the gente. Thank you for sharing our common interests in the analysis, discussion, critique, dissemination, and commitment to the educational issues that impact Latinos. I'm your host, Dr. Enrique Murillo Jr., and this episode is a syndicated replay from season 10 of Lead Summit 2019. The theme that year was Su Voto Es Su Voz, Everyone Counts. For the U.S. to create a positive future, it will require a Latino citizenry that more greatly participates in the American democratic process, and that is poised to shape the U.S. political landscape through voting and civic engagement. One of our featured speakers was the Honorable Alex Padilla, who at the time was serving as the California Secretary of State and had modernized the office, increased voter registration and participation, and strengthened voting rights. In a historic turn, just a year and a half later, in December 2020, Secretary of State Alex Padilla, the son of Mexican immigrants who worked as a cook and a house cleaner, would go on to become the first Latino United States Senator to represent California. Continue and enjoy the full value and complexity of this episode. We extend our appreciation to all our lead sponsors and partners, planners, volunteers, speakers, panelists, the production team, affiliates, and town hall chapters. We commend them all for lifting their voice and uplifting the plight of Latinos in education. Thank you, gracias, Claudio Camate. Now it's my distinct pleasure to introduce Jesse Felix, who will introduce our next speaker. Jesse serves as the Executive Director of the Associated Students Incorporated here on our campus and is a doctoral candidate cohort 10 in the Educational Leadership Program. So Jesse, all yours. It's actually my pleasure to introduce to you Alex Padilla, the California Secretary of State. Alex Padilla was sworn in as California Secretary of State on January 5th, 2015, becoming the first ever Latino elected to the position. He is committed to modernizing the office, increasing voter registration and participation, and strengthening voter rights. In 2018, Secretary Padilla oversaw the state's historical general election where 64.5% of registered voters cast a ballot. This was the, higher voter, the highest voter turnout of registered voters in a gubernatorial general election since 1982. Working with statewide partners, California just reached a historic 20 million registered voters. To expand voting rights to more Californians in 2015, the Secretary sponsored legislation to establish vote centers, expand early voting and implemented same-day conditional voter registration through the Voters' Choice Act. He also sponsored the new Motor Voter Act, which will eventually register to vote every eligible California citizen who goes to a DMV office to get a driver's license or renew one, potentially registering millions. Padilla's parents immigrated from Mexico and raised their family in the working class community of Pacoima, California. 
Padilla attended local public schools and went on to graduate from Massachusetts Institute of Technology with a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. In 1999, at the age of 26, he was elected at, to the Los Angeles City Council to represent the same East San Fernando Valley community where he grew up. In 2001, his colleagues elected him to the first of three terms as council president, becoming the youngest member and the first Latino to serve in this capacity. In 2006, Padilla was elected to the California State Senate. He was reelected in 2010, and over the course of eight years, Padilla has established a, di a diverse and groundbreaking legislative record. Padilla lives with his wife, Angela, and their three sons in the San Fernando Valley. It is my pleasure to welcome the Honorable Alex Padilla. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Are we all still awake out there? Time for another cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, it is uh, indeed my honor to be part of the program today. I want to thank Dr. Munio for the invitation and for his leadership. Ten years of the LEAD Summit. Let's give him a round of applause. Uh, and I want to thank all of you. I want to thank all of you for not just being here this morning, but for your courage. What do I mean by that? It takes courage. You chose to be here today. You chose to participate maybe as a first-time participant. Maybe you've been here for many, many years. Nobody makes you be here. You choose to be here because you know these convenings, these conversations, that this work is so important. I mean, just think about the title, right? Latino Education and Advocacy Days. I'm so glad that both education and advocacy are in the title because you cannot have good education without good advocacy. And we cannot have good advocacy without good education. So there is not just a celebration going on here today, there is a purpose. So thank you for being here, for the courage to stand up and demand, insist, and in being part of a better community here on the campus and throughout the Inland Empire. Uh, give yourselves a round of applause. So uh, you heard a little bit of uh, my background in the introduction, I'd like to share a little bit more before I get into the specifics of why I'm here today, talking about elections and voting and even census participation in 2020. Uh, as you heard, I am a proud son of immigrants. My parents are from Mexico. They are actually from different parts in Mexico. My dad is from the state of Jalisco. My mom was from the state of Chihuahua. That you came separately. <laughs> They came separately. They actually met in Los Angeles, right? Like so many others, my dad came here with his brothers. He gave himself a year to find a job. Y si no, pues ni modo. My mom was here with one of her cousins at the same time. They not only found jobs, they found each other. They, they fell in love. And before deciding to get married and started a family, they decided to apply for green cards. 
So I thank the United States government for saying yes, because if they would have said no, I would have been probably giving the speech in Tijuana somewhere. <laughs> My parents got their green cards, they got married, and they settled into the San Fernando Valley and started to uh, raise a family. You know, my parents worked for almost uh, 40 years, for about 40 years before earning their retirement. For 40 years, my father worked as a short order cook. So whenever you go to a diner like a Denny's or an IHOP and you order pancakes and scrambled eggs, think about who's making that breakfast. That's what my dad did for 40 years. For those same 40 years, my mother used to clean houses. But together, they just didn't work hard, hard work, honest work. They raised a family. I have an older sister who has gone from being a teacher's assistant to a teacher to a principal, and now she works in the administration for the Los Angeles Unified School District. Have a younger brother who works as chief of staff to one of the members of the Los Angeles City Council. So we're all in public service in some way, shape, or form, and that is not a coincidence. That is a complete reflection of the values of my parents always insisting on education, and always insisting on helping others. And I get to stand before you today as California Secretary of State. I, uh, I want you to think about that for just a second. In one generation, our family has gone from being immigrants, hardworking immigrants, cooks, and house cleaners, to I get to stand before you as a constitutional officer in the most populous state in the nation. The American dream is still alive. Our the American dream, as you know, is sometimes under attack, but it is still alive because of the work that is done in rooms like this around the country and over the course of our history. You know, I share my story proudly, but I also share my story humbly because I know that each and every person in this room has a story that is just as powerful and just as important whether you're here today as a student, as a parent, as a, a faculty member or administrator, as a community leader, whatever brought you into this room today, I know that you have a story, not just a life story, but a story of what you and your family has done to contribute to the community and to this country. And even better yet, each and every one of you has a story of what you and your family has yet to do to contribute to this community, to the state of California, and to the United States of America. Because guess what, people? I'm going to tell you something you already know. Latinos and immigrants help make America great. Always have, always will. But let me share something with you that you probably don't know. I mean, you heard this beautiful introduction, Los Angeles City Council, Council President, State Senate, 
Secretary of State, being involved with government and politics is honestly the last thing I thought I'd be doing when I was growing up. You understand, you were once in high school, or talk to a high schooler today, ask them what they think of politics, <laughs> or politicians. Now don't answer that question, this is a family forum. But I was like that too, ah, pa' que? Right? If you would ask me what I thought of politics and politicians back when I was in high school, of corruption, greed, right? Something I could not relate to. Why would I want to be a part of that? So, uh, you know, I had decided to pursue two dreams when I was growing up. One, to play first base for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Go Dodgers, it's opening day. But I was smart enough to have a backup plan. And because my favorite subject was math, I followed the advice of some teachers and counselors and pursued engineering. So I came home after four winters in Massachusetts with a mechanical engineering degree and uh, a little walk down memory lane for some of us with a little bit more gray in the audience. Do you remember the year 1994? Right. First of all, the economy in Southern California in the early 90s was not a very good one for people looking for engineering jobs. But second, in November of 1994, this coming November is the 25th anniversary of a momentous event, not just in my life, but in this, the history and trajectory of the state of California. On the November 1994 ballot, there appeared a measure known as Proposition 187. Those of us who were woke at the time remember how important that was. A measure that sought to deny immigrants and children of immigrants eligibility from public services. Public services meaning if you did not have health insurance, you couldn't go see a doctor at a county clinic when you were sick. Depending on who you asked, it also meant that maybe children could not attend public schools because public education is a public service. Let me abruptly remind us all that Proposition 187 passed in California before it was deemed unconstitutional by the courts. It passed. It wasn't even close. At the time, my parents had been here for not quite 30 years, but close to it. It's what got them to finally decide to begin the naturalization process and to become citizens. And if you ask him, it wasn't to just, oh, I kept up the hernos, right? Because just for our protection and security. It was out of recognition that if we did not further engage in the political process, we would continue to be a target. And they weren't the only ones. Millions across California did. And our politics have changed as a result. But it wasn't just my parents and their peers. It was young people like me who grew up very cynical about politics. Why should I get involved? What does it matter? Does it make a difference? To realize, hey, maybe my high school government teacher was right. If we live in this democracy, we're all equals, right? We all uh, have a voice. Our voice is our votes. Nuestra voz es nuestro voto. But only if you exercise it. So how could I in good conscience complain 
be cynical if I, someone who's eligible, was not registered and voting in each and every election. So that was a turning point for me. That's when I decided to get engaged. And I also applied a little math lesson to my purpose. So I'm going to give you all a pop quiz right here, right now. What's greater, one or 10? It's not a trick question. <laughs> 10 is the right answer. I heard two people respond. Let's, all right, let's try this again. What's greater, 10 or 100? What's greater, 100 or 1,000? So the same lesson that applies in our math class applies in our democracy and in our politics. If I register and vote in every election, that's my voice. But if I organize and get 10 people, 10 family members to register and vote, our voice is heard that much louder. If I go to my school or my community and get 100 or 1,000 people registered and voting in every election, our voice is even that much louder. And again, nothing you don't already know, but that is the spirit that I see in this room today. Each and one of us cares individually, but we're coming together. We're organizing. We're organizing this campus, the greater community, the region, and we are a powerful voice in the state of California and in the United States of America. And so imagine the opportunity to take these experiences, take these visions, and serve as the chief elections officer for the great state of California. It's a tremendous opportunity to help, through the institutions, give each and every community a voice. It's not just about how do we register more people. Let's make it easy. Let's remove barriers for eligible people to be registered to vote and remove barriers for people to actually cast their ballots. So yes, if you Google the name and look at the bio on the official website, you can read more in detail about things like online voter registration, automatic voter registration, same-day voter registration, pre-registration for 16- and 17-year-olds. There's no wonder that we've broken the records for voter registration in the state of California, and we're not looking back. And it's no wonder, no coincidence, that you'll see the reforms that we're championing to give voters more options of when, where, and how to vote. Vote by mail, early voting, voting anywhere in the county that's convenient to you. That's our agenda in California for the benefit of California voters, but to serve as contrast of what we see happening in far too many states. I dare you to Google voting rights and North Carolina and see what you find. I dare you to Google voting rights in Alabama or Georgia or Ohio, Wisconsin, and see what you find. California has an opportunity and an obligation to show a better way. But I want to be very, very clear about something. I want to be very clear about something, and this is, I think, the biggest point that I have to offer this morning. When we talk about getting more people to register and increasing turnout rates, as much as I love math, it's not about the numbers. It's not just about the numbers. Because, you see, we all have access to data that tells us well, who is it that tends to be registered to vote? And who is it that tends to be eligible but not registered to vote? 
of the more than 20 million Californians now that are registered to vote, who is it that tends to churn out every single election? And who is it that may be registered to vote, but only votes once in a while? It's pretty clear the eligible but unregistered and the registered but infrequent voter is disproportionately low income, young people, and communities of color. It's us. So if we truly want to seize our power and influence the agenda of San Bernardino, city and county, the state of California, and the United States of America, we have to seize our power by registering and voting in every single election. And that's what our policies are doing. And throughout the course of the day, you'll hear from uh, subject matter experts in much, much more detail about what that's taken and what that's leading to. Throughout the course of the day, you're also going to hear about another, some, another item that's important to me, the decennial census. Dr. Murillo made a pitch on it earlier. Bottom line is this. In addition to registering and voting, in addition to organizing all year round, every year, not just when the election is upon us, the census every 10 years is hugely critical for our community. Census data is what drives, yes, federal funding formulas for the next 10 years. So if you want to make sure that the community receives its fair share of housing dollars, healthcare dollars, education dollars, on and on and on, we need to make sure that every Californian is counted in the 2020 census. But census data also drives reapportionment so if we want our fair share of representation in Congress, we need to make sure every Californian is counted in the 2020 census. And census data also drives redistricting. Right Now we're getting our political scientists geek on. <laughs> when we redraw the lines every 10 years to balance populations for legislative districts, for congressional districts, we rely on census data. So if there's a census undercount, we can't draw the districts properly, and we undermine one person, one vote. We undermine our fundamental voting rights unless every Californian gets counted in the 2020 census. So we're all going to have a lot of work to do going into 2020. We're going to organize, we're going to register, we're going to vote, and we're going to make time to make sure we participate in the census. It's been a tremendous, tremendous honor for me to be here today because as I sat here during the welcoming remarks, we were reminded of the powerful leadership and legacy of Tomas Rivera. What a story. Later today, you'll hear from one of the living legends, not just in the Latino community across the country, but in the United States of America, Rosie Castro, who I had an opportunity to meet a year and a half ago in San Antonio, Texas. What a powerful story. It's been my honor to share my story. I need you to share yours and to live up the potential of the story of each and every one of you. God bless you, and thank you very, very much.
questions. So, so if you're okay, we got a couple questions for you. All right, the first one will be from our puentistas. Where you at? Good morning, Secretary. Good morning. Uh, my name is Luis Velasco Miranda. I'm a student from the Puente Project from Norwood College. I'll soon be transferring to UCR this fall. Congratulations. Um, I also served as... <laughs> Thank you. I also served as student trustee for the Riverside Community College District in 2017. And my question to you is um, taking into consideration how large our student college student population is in California, how can we ensure that every college campus will have a voting center for the upcoming elections? Um, and how can you include the students to participate in that, in that um, process? Okay, great. Uh, so in case you didn't hear or understand the question as I understood it, it's how can we uh, advocate, especially having the students organize and advocate for voting centers to be cited on college and university campuses throughout the state because so many uh, uh, voters or students uh, on campuses, whether it's community colleges, UCs and CSUs, and even privates. Uh, and I love the question because it makes perfect sense to do exactly that. Uh, so we have two-part effort uh, going on. Number one, you can chime in legislatively. There's actually legislation working its way through that would require uh, colleges and universities to have a voting location on their campus. You can chime in in support of that legislation. But in the meantime, there's no prohibition on it. So we all can and should be working locally with your county elections office, uh, specifically the registrar of voters, and help make the case of why it makes sense, both because of not just the students that are on the campus, but all the employees of a campus like Cal State San Bernardino, uh, all the faculty members, administrators, and frankly, the surrounding community. This is a hub of the community. There happens to be a lot of good parking too, right? And access to public transportation, all the ideal things you would want in a voting location. So let's make sure that the registrars of voters are hearing the interest, hearing the demand of the community to cite uh, polling places and vote centers on our campuses. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Secretary Say, we have one more question from you, and this one will come from YouTube. All right. Mi nombre es Eleazar Ramos. Yo soy un nuevo ciudadano, acabo de pasar mi test uh, y mi pregunta es para el señor secretario Alex Padilla. Necesito llevar un ID o licencia para el día que participe en votar. Love that question. Before I get uh, to my answer, I just got to tell, I get chills whenever I see new citizens like celebrating their citizenship and engaging because I remember uh, when my parents were going through the process. If you know anybody who's gone through the process, if you've gone through the process, you remember like studying the flashcards, right? Who was the first president of the United States? 
why are there 50 stars on the flag? Uh, I remember how nervous my mom was when she got the letter to come in for the interview. So it's, it, participating in naturalization ceremonies are very special for me too. But to answer the question, do you need an ID or, or a license to vote in California? The answer is no. We are not a voter ID state. Hand clap for California. With one little exception, but let me explain. It's not as bad as it sounds. Uh, so when we register to vote, whether it's on paper or online, right, you ask for all your basic information, your name, your address, your date of birth, a signature, you know, if you want to choose a political party, do you want to vote by mail? In there, it asks you for either your license or ID number or for your social security number. Those are only used to make sure that we don't have duplicate, you know, Alex by the yes on the voter rolls. If there's two different Alex by the yes, well, fine. If it's the same social security number, we know it's the same person. Uh, when you register to vote for the first time, if you don't add that information, the first time you go vote, you'll be asked just for the verification purposes. But other than that, no voter ID requirement in the state of California. Don't let that be a barrier. If a poll worker asks you for ID, remind them of the law and call it in. Call the county, call the Secretary of State's office, and we'll make sure that the poll workers know the rules. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's give it up. Let's give it up for him. Okay, at this moment, we want to uh, present the Honorable Alex Padilla with a small token of our affection. If we can stand up and show our respect at this moment, stand up for a moment. Alex, for your accomplishments and lifetime service to our community, we would like to honor you today with our Latino Education Advocacy Medallion of Honor. So, se pueden sentar, por favor. Como en misa, verdad? Párense. Uh, no, it's tr tremendous, tremendous honor. And uh, since they gave me a couple more minutes, just some brief remarks in, in Spanish for our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters in the audience and those watching through technology. Muchísimas gracias por este honor, por la oportunidad de participar con ustedes, no solo en este evento tan importante, pero en este tiempo tan importante por nuestra comunidad y por el país. Si creemos y confiamos en lo que nos han dicho, que en este país es una democracia y todos somos iguales. Si son ciudadanos, Si han cumplido los 18 años, son elegibles para inscribirse para votar. Piensen el poder de eso. No importa si son ricos o no. No importa si tuvimos la, la oportunidad bendita de estudiar en una universidad o no. No importa si nuestra familia ha vivido en este país por generaciones o si somos nuevos ciudadanos, como el señor que nos hizo la pregunta. Todos somos iguales. Tenemos el derecho a votar. Nuestra voz se puede escuchar en el proceso político y en el proceso electoral, pero solo si utilizamos esa voz. 
Nuestro voto es nuestra voz. Hay que utilizarlo, por favor. Inscríbanse, corren la voz entre la familia, la vecindad, en el trabajo, cualquier persona que es elegible, inscríbanse para votar y voten. Y así podemos cambiar nuestras comunidades y el, la trayectoria de nuestro país. Muchas gracias. Gracias.